Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. And so go with me in your Bibles this morning, if you would, uh, to a New Testament book. Um, If you're new to the Bible, like so many of us are, you're going to begin to learn that the Bible's broken up into two sections. It's broken up into the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to go to the New Testament section of the Bible. We're going to go to the uh, gospel first couple books of the New Testament called Gospels, the story of Jesus. We're going to go to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24, and uh, we're going to read some stuff here. And uh, man, this is one of the most epic stories um, of all all time, Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, it doesn't get any more epic than that, um, that Jesus rose again from the grave. And what's so awesome about the story is there are a lot of other stories surrounding the resurrection story that have to do with it. And we're going to read one of those today, and we're going to see um, what's taking place here in the lives of a couple of disciples. And I believe what we discover in their story is going to minister to you today as we continue our series entitled Stories. We know this to this point that, that, that the majority of stories in the Bible are made up of four parts. There is the, the beginning part of the story, where the, the creation part, where everything begins. Then there's the destruction part of the story, usually where man gets involved. Come on, somebody. And then there is the redemption part of the story where Jesus, the hero, swoops in and saves the day, uh, whether that's in the New Testament or in typology in the Old Testament. And then there's the restoration part of the story. And this is where God wants our story to go. God wants our story to go to that place of restoration so that you can continue to tell about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at one today, Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. And it reads, Now the same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus. On the same day. What is the day? This is the day that we know and believe that we are celebrating today. This is the resurrection day of Jesus Christ. So when the Bible reads on that same day, it's talking about the day that Jesus now has risen from the grave. He's only been seen by by a woman at this point, but what we're going to see here is he's going to show up to two other people. And on that day, that day that Jesus rose, there were two of them. Who are the two of them? The two of them are disciples. Now, these aren't, these aren't one of the popular ones that you've read about before. This is actually the first time they show up in the Bible, and uh, we're going to begin to see them here. But he shows up to these two, these two disciples that are on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. What? You reading this in your Bible? Here they are walking, and they're talking, and they're pretty intense with one another, and Jesus himself shows up, and they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you are having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Then one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there these days? What things, Jesus asked them. So they said to him, things concerning Jesus, the Nazarene, who was the prophet, powerful in action and in speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we are hoping that he was, we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women 
from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb. And when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen vision of angels who had said he is alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how unwise and slow you are. In other words, you idiots. (laughs) If you and I were writing it. To believe in your hearts, all the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses, which is a ways back in the Bible, and all of the prophets, he interpreted them the things concerning himself and all the scripture. Now, I want to pause there for a moment because I know this is Easter, and there's some of you that are like, have Easter brunch. Anybody have any Easter brunch plans? Nobody. All right, you guys need to get out a little more often and enjoy San Diego. Does anybody have plans after the service? You're going to, okay, fantastic. You have some plans. I didn't get invited. What's going on? So I know that you you got plans afterwards, and you're like, okay, pastor, get on with the message because we got plans afterwards. I want you to notice something here. Jesus was very long-winded. He went all the way back to Moses, which is like the very beginning of the Bible. And then he, he talked with them all the way through the prophets and now all the things concerning him. So cut me some slack. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so he preached for a little long time. They came near, verse 28, the village where they were going. And he gave, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, saying, stay with us because it's almost evening. And now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them, that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. It's like a crazy magic show. So they said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining scripture to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, The Lord has certainly been raised and he has appeared to Simon. So uh, where am I at? Verse 35. He's appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. What a powerful story. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you, Lord God, that we see so much in this resurrection story here. God, this visitation to these two disciples just shortly after your son Jesus had raised from the dead. And I pray that today that you'd help me preach it. God, that you'd help me, Lord God, encourage people with this message today. Lord, I pray that you encourage everyone in this place and let them know that their story is not over. But God, you're just penning a new chapter. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I want to read you this statement that is in your program, if you have one. And it says this, too often we live our life by a series of what ifs and if onlys. What if and if onlys. Anybody ever said that before? What if this happened or if only this hadn't happened? Anybody here say that before? Am I the only one? And I can only imagine that as these two disciples are walking and talking with one another on the road to Emmaus, that they're conversing about Jesus. In their hearts, they thought he is the one. He's going to be a natural king, and he's going to rule Israel. He's the one that's going to redeem us from all of the bondage that the Roman Empire had put us under, and and he's going to come and rule, but now he's dead. I'm sure that as they were walking, they had a lot of what-ifs and if-onlys. And you know what? I believe there's a lot of us here today 
that we could, we could have that same conversation. If only this hadn't happened in my life, or, or what if this had turned out differently? But let's read on. We live this way, which tends to skew our faith, so we live life less than the way God intended. Easter is a great reminder, though, that the story God is writing in and through our lives is not over. The truth is that when, we, when there is a moment of uncertainty and chaos, it's just another opportunity for God to display his glory and his power. Amen. That ought to encourage somebody today because you might be sitting here right now in this moment looking at some stuff in your life, thinking there's some uncertainty, thinking there's some chaos, thinking there's some some things going on and you don't know how it's going to work out. But I got good news for you today. Come on, Easter is a reminder that he's going to take that thing and he's going to turn it around. What looks like destruction for you, God is working on the other side and he's going to display his power and his glory. I believe that. The reason I believe that is not only because I see it in Scripture, but I've actually seen this happen in my own life. And some of you, and you saw these people walk up with these cardboards and, and had their testimony just in a few words. Isn't it amazing how powerful just those 16 seconds can be as they tell you one side of the story and then they tell the other side of the story? What happened? There was a moment of chaos in their life, and then Jesus entered the scene. And come on, and he turned that thing around. And I believe he's going to do the same for you. Not only because I see it in Bible, not only because I saw it in these, but because I've experienced it myself. I've seen him take moments that looked like the end and looked like chaos in my life, and he's turned it around. I'll never forget when I was in college, and I played college basketball. Any other college athletes in here? Come on, what? There's a few of you. All right. To college sports, and man, I remember getting recruited by Eastern Oregon State, and uh, they're in LaGrande, Oregon. Now, this is a college town. And, uh, and this is like one of those towns where like when school's in, it's like 30,000 people. And when school's out, it's like four, right? Like there, it's like ghost town. But as soon as college is in session, man, everybody's there. The place is full. And I was playing college for Eastern Oregon State at the time and got recruited, went out there. And coach uh, set me up with a bunch of reliable basketball players. Now, let me just be honest with you. I don't know that reliable college basketball player can all go in the same sentence. You know, we are 18, 19, 20 years old, out on our own, playing basketball, and, and he puts us in a house together. There's like seven of us. And um, I remember getting the best room because I was the first one to sign in, and I got to pick my room first. I got my room picked out, and uh, I'm excited to start this new journey. It's about 10 hours from uh, where I grew up, and uh, coach set us up. Well, I knew within weeks that these guys weren't reliable, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure they thought the same about me. Um, but, man, these guys would party all night long. And, uh, I mean, and, and here's the thing. It wasn't just the party, and I can handle it. There's a little music, but they played dominoes. Now, I know, that, I know that as a family, you probably play dominoes, and you slide your little piece on there and put it over and connect it to the other piece. That is not how you play dominoes. This is how you play dominoes. And they would take, anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah? And they would take that domino and smack it down until, like, 3 in the morning. So here I am, I got class at 7 o'clock in the morning. I, I can't handle this any longer. Wake up one morning, and the place is just a disaster, and I'm thinking to myself, Coach, what did you do? Come home that afternoon from class, and I walk up, and on the door there's a big notice, a big eviction notice. You have three days to exit the premise. Now, that wouldn't fly in California. Come on, somebody. You might get one that says that three years later you're still there, right, living for free. Not in LaGrande, Oregon. The guy's going to show up with a shotgun and shoot you if you're not off his premise, all right? And so we have three days. Now, remember, college is already in session. This is, I've, been, I've been in school for about a month. 
And so finding a place to live at this time is almost completely impossible. Or if you find one, it's going to be astronomical in price. And so here I am, like, what am I going to do? Kind of thinking, like, maybe this is my out. I could just go back home. But then a part of me wanting to stay because I didn't want to be a failure. And so I remember looking through the little, the little ads and looking for a place to live. And it's like, hey, you can get, like, a tent in my backyard for $700. And I'm like, what? So I finally found one. It is a room for rent for 350 bucks. And I'm like, sweet, that one's mine. I remember pulling up to this place. It was on this dirt road, and you pull up, and it like, anybody ever seen American Horror Story? Just imagine that. I pull up to American Horror Story, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. There's, like, broken down, like, cars everywhere, and it's just like there is a lawn, but it's not a lawn. It's, it's hay. Come on, somebody, right? It's just dry. And the only thing that was worth of any value was this really nice Harley Davidson sitting there, and I'm like, okay, well, there's hope maybe, Right? Now, I remember I go up to the door, and I go to knock on the door, and as I knock on it, it creaks open. <laughs> kind of step back. All of a sudden, this big, burly biker dude comes there and goes, what can I do for you, son? Nothing. Right? I'm, I'm, like, I'm like freaking out. I'm like, I mean, I'm, I'm here for the room you have for rent? Yeah, come on in. I take a step in, and I look, and I see down this hallway, and I'm thinking, okay, sweet. I'll just quickly go look at the room, and if it's worth it, then, I, then, I'll, then I'll get it. And I was like, is the room down that way? He goes, nope. Like, where's the room? He goes, right over here. He talked like that, too. True story. And he goes to what looks like a little pantry door in the kitchen. I kid you not, it's about two feet wide, if even that. And he opens it up. And there's these concrete steps going down. There's no light. And he looks, he goes, the room's down there. And I'm like, no, 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 I've seen this movie. Come on, somebody. I've seen this movie. I ain't going down there, Saw. I know what you're going to do. Right? I know. I'm like, I'm like, um. and so I actually contemplated it for a moment. And I'm like, well, is there a light switch? Yeah. Halfway down the stairs, just reach up and feel around, and somewhere you're going to find a little rope. Just pull on that thing, and a light will come on. I'm like, you are lying right now. I'm, I'm, I literally, and I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking to myself, either I'm leaving La Grande, Oregon, and going home, and it's over, or I'm walking down those steps, and my life is over. And so I was at a crossroads. I was at a moment where I had to make a decision. And so what I did what every brave six-foot-six college basketball player would do, I turned around and ran out the front door and never came back. Come on, somebody. I didn't even say goodbye. I didn't even say thank you, sir. I was like, no, no, no. I know what you're going to do to me if I go down there. I'm out of here. And sure enough, a week later, man, there was a report on the college campus that a student was missing. No, that part's not true. That was a lie, but the first part was all true. And you know what? I found myself in this place where it looked like, you know, this is the end. Like, I mean, this is, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be here at college. I'm supposed to be playing basketball. Man, this, is, this, is, this was it, man. I'm going to get my degree, and then I'm going to go on, and things are going to be great. And, and I thought I had it all worked out. You ever thought you had it all worked out before? You ever thought you had your plans made? And here I am, and I realize that this part of the story is over. But little did I know that what I was looking at that I thought was over, God was working on the other end. 
God was working in the middle of what I thought was the end, and he was beginning to do something. I love the resurrection story. And here's why I love the resurrection story. I love the resurrection story because three days ago, man, all of them had come and said farewell to Jesus, and they put him in that tomb, and they are walking away sorrowful. They are walking away mourning. They are walking away sad. Here's these disciples walking away sad back to their hometown, not only sad, but now they're agitated with each other because what we think is over, God is doing something in the middle of it. They thought it was over. They thought it was done. But in those three days, if you would read on in your Bible and you get to 1 Peter and you get to 2 Peter, you begin to discover that in those three days, Jesus was doing a work of all works and he was preparing something on the other side. And you need to know something today. You need to know that right now, when you don't feel God close to you, you ever been there before? You don't feel like he's close to you. You don't feel, you might be sitting here today even skeptical if there is God. But I want you to know something. In those moments where you feel like he's not close, he is working something on the other side. He's working something on the other side. I just want to jump right into this story. Just give you some things that I see here as we look at these disciples. These disciples are walking away because they think it's over. And the first thing I see in their story, number one, is that God brings clarity to chaos. God brings clarity to chaos. Hmm. God brings clarity to chaos. Somebody needs to hear that today. You feel like you're in chaotic moment. You feel like, man, I don't know what's going on here. You need to know something. God's about to bring clarity to you. Here are these disciples. They're walking back. We read it in Scripture. They are discouraged. They they literally feel like they've had the life sucked out of them. They are hopeless. And in that moment of hopelessness, in that moment of discouragement, he shows up and he brings clarity. You know, sometimes... The greatest clarity comes in your darkest moments. We go back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. Right in the very beginning of the Bible, I want to to read this to you because I want you to see this. Because this is what God does with dark places in our life. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, it says this. It says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. You know what the next verse says? And there was light. In the midst of a dark moment, in the midst of what looked chaotic, God speaks. And when God speaks, something is created. Kind of reminds me of the story we read today. Here they are, and they are going along in their journey. Jesus shows up, and what does Jesus do? Jesus takes them to the Scripture. He takes them to Moses and the prophets, and he begins to explain all of these things to them. And as he does, what happens? Their hearts begin to be ablaze, the Bible says. Things begin to turn. Clarity begins to come, which tells me something. When I'm in those moments of chaos, when I'm in those moments of discouragement, I can go to the Word of God, and it begins to speak to me, and it begins to encourage me, and it begins to give me clarity. 
Amen? And I'll never forget when I was in LeGrand and I left that, that scary house. I went back to the place that I had been evicted from. And I, I honestly didn't know what to do. Called my parents. And I remember walking into, there was one other Christian that lived in the house at the time, and he was kind of like the house big brother. I went into that room, and I talked with him. I said, I, I don't know what to do. And you know what he did after talking to me just for a brief moment? He pulled out the Bible. And he began to read a scripture. I don't remember what scripture it was. For all I know, he could have been like Jesus and went all the way back to Moses and read about the prophets. I don't remember what it was. All I remember is he was reading the Bible to me. And in that moment, I felt the peace of God come on my heart. And I knew that I needed to pack my bags and I needed to go home. And I did. Tough, one of the toughest decisions ever, talking to my coach, saying, hey, this isn't working out. Checking out of school. But on that 10-hour drive home, God began to reveal to me how he was going to use me and how I'd been running from his call. And I'll tell you right now, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was walking through that chaotic moment so that I could get clarity from him. And it is because of that moment, it's because of that moment that I moved back that I'm here today and you're sitting in this theater. It's because of that moment that I went back that I met the most beautiful woman in my eyes and married her. It's because of that moment that I have these two beautiful children now, one of them doing the dance that I choreographed for, come on somebody, on Easter Sunday. Man, I'm so thankful for that moment because without that moment, I would have never got the clarity and I would never be here, and we would have never started Canvas Church. Thankful for that moment. These disciples get clarity in the middle of their chaos. So it's such a powerful thought. Hmm. Second thing I see in the story is God chooses the unlikely. God chooses the unlikely. What do I mean by that? In this story, these disciples have never been heard of before that we know. They've never been seen. And he comes and he shows up to these two, and he chooses these two to reveal himself to. Now, you got to think about this for a moment. We have not heard of these guys in Scripture before. We've heard of the more popular ones known as the apostles, right? Matthew, got a book named after him. Good job. Mark. Great, short, he's always in a hurry, but it's good. Luke, John, we, these guys got books named after them. And these are, these are big dudes. Jesus doesn't show up to them when he resurrects. He shows up to these two guys that we've never heard of before. Now, I can tell some of you still aren't catching it, okay? How would you feel if your best friend that you had not seen in a while, no, 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 how would you feel if your best friend got killed in a car accident, you went to their funeral, you wept over their grave, and then three days later, they crawl up out of that grave, and they have the audacity to not come say hi to you first. No, instead, what, 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 what he does is he appears to a woman first, which, if you study that out, the most unlikely and then he goes and he finds these other two disciples that we have not read about in Scripture. And he says, hey, how you guys doing? Good. Hey, I'm going to send you on a mission. 
I want you to go find my best friend Tom, and I want you to tell him that I'm actually alive. How would you feel? (laughs) Why does he do this? I don't know if he was doing it to, like, poke jabs at the disciples. But here he is, and he visits the most alike. Here's why I believe he does it. I believe he does it because the cross levels the playing field. The cross makes everyone equal. The cross levels it all. Matter of fact, let me read it to you. The Bible says this in Galatians 3, 27 to 29. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on a Christ like a garment. There is no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. Are you hearing that today? We are all one in Christ Jesus. The moment of the cross is a moment of equality. It levels the playing field. We see this even earlier on if we were to rewind in the story of the crucifixion. The story of the crucifixion when Jesus' body has been crucified and he's now dead. There are two disciples, secret disciples. One named Joseph of Arimathea and another one named Nicodemus. The Bible says that they're secret disciples because they're afraid of what would happen to them if others found out. And they go, secret disciples, and they get the body. Secret disciples now become public disciples as they take the body of Jesus and prepare it for burial. Here, this whole theme continues as Jesus does not show up to the prominent, but he shows up to the most unlikely. This has got to be my most favorite thing about this story. It's probably one of my most favorite things actually about the whole entire Bible. Because you know what? If you read through the Bible, he does it over and over and over again. He doesn't come and and show up to the the, the, the most prominent and the best and and I'm going to use you. He shows up to the most jacked up people that you and I would never choose. Right? He shows up to those and says, I'm going to use you. I mean, you just read through the New Testament, read through the Old Testament. He's taking murderers and serial killers and making them the guys that tell the story. What is that all about? I don't know, but here's what it does. It gives me hope, and it should give you hope today. It should give you hope today. Here's here's two ways it should give you hope. Number one, it should give you hope because we know we're all jacked up. Pastor, you just told us we're jacked up on Easter. I know I am too, right? We're messed up, right? But here's the second reason why it ought to give you hope. Because if he used them, he's going to use us in spite of our issues, right? And so because of that, I don't need to prove myself. I don't need to prove myself. I don't need to do something to win his affection, I don't need to do something to prove that, hey, I came to another church service. Here I am. I showed up. I raised one hand in worship. That's worth something. I'm not quite as spiritual as the other one raising two. And then there's pastor up there doing a little dance. Right? You don't have to do any of that. He chooses the most unlikely. I'm so glad he did. So glad that God found me uh, in the Grand, Oregon, and began to speak to me about my future. 
I'm so glad that God doesn't choose the most prominent, but he just chooses whom he chooses. You know the very thing that qualifies us actually to be chosen by God? Here's what it is. Listen to this, 1 Timothy 1.15. <clears throat> Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says in 1 Timothy 1.15, this saying is a trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. In other words, listen up. This is what it says. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he writes, and I'm the worst of them all. The very reason why Jesus Christ came, the very reason why we celebrate Easter today is because of jacked up people. Amen? He doesn't always choose the most prominent. He chooses unlikely. Let me finish with this. Lastly, God is still writing your story. We see here in this passage that God is still writing the story. God's still writing the story. We see it in the whole entire crucifixion and resurrection story. That everyone thought it was over. He's gone. Jesus rises, says, nope, I'm back. But we also see in the story of these two disciples as they are walking back to their hometown discouraged. They're walking back depressed. They're walking back thinking it's over. They're walking back sorrowful. And then Jesus, the hero, shows up on the scene. And in, in those moments of talking and conversing with them, all of a sudden now Jesus leaves and they're like, wait a second, we know who that was. It was Jesus. Didn't we feel it in our hearts? And the Bible says that within an hour of having arrived at their home, they got back up and walked seven miles back the other direction just to go and inform the disciples. Their story wasn't over yet. Listen to me today. Too many of us are concluding our story where Jesus is not intending us to conclude our story. Too many of us are stuck on the what ifs and the if onlys, only to repeat the tragedy in our life over and over and over and over again. Listen to me. It happens to us personally. Something happened to us. It was a legitimate event, something devastating. Man, it really was hard. It was hard to deal with, hard to walk through. But you keep rehashing it over and over and over again with the what ifs and the if onlys. And you relive that event. You relive that event. Some of you do it in your marriage. The reason your marriage is still having difficulty is because you continue to relive those moments over and over and over and over again. And you continue to go at it. And you continue to fight with one another. Continue to argue with one another. We need to get past that. And we need to understand that God is not done with our story. God is not done with you. He is still writing. What you are looking at as destruction, God is in the process of penning your destiny. What you are looking at as chaos, God is trying to bring clarity. God is trying to speak to you. Your story is not over. Too oftentimes, here's what happens, is, is we don't like the way our story's going, and we can't see the beginning from the end like he can. And so what we do is we rip the pen out of his hand, and we begin to write our own story. And too oftentimes, where we begin to write the end, the end on our marriage, the end on this relationship, the end on this dream, the end on this thing, God doesn't want to write the end. He wants to write a new chapter. And he wants to begin to write chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15. But we keep yanking the pen out of his hand, writing the end, putting a period where he doesn't want a period. He wants the story to continue to go on and on and on and on. He's not 
done with you yet. It is not over yet. There are some of you sitting here today that you feel like throwing the towel in in some area of your life. Easter is a reminder that the story isn't over. Easter is a reminder that he is still penning a great destiny and a great future for you. Some of you feel like throwing the towel in on your marriage, on a dream, on a ministry. Maybe it's on a loved one that you've been praying for for a while. But stop writing the end. Pam, would you surrender to him and allow him to take the pen back out of your hand and to write a new chapter? Because just like a seed that's going into the ground, too often times we see it as a death and a burial. But it's not a death and a burial. It is a planting. He is planting a seed that will begin to birth something new. That will begin to spring up with new life. And something beautiful will begin to grow. But we see it as it's over. He says, no, son, daughter, I'm writing a new chapter for you. I have your restoration story. I have your restoration marriage. I have your restoration healing. I have your restoration provision. I have that dream, and it is in process. It is not over. Stop writing the end and allow him to pen a new chapter. God, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.